Anyway, uh, again, thank you for, I've enjoyed so much sharing with you guys the last uh, two weeks and then this week, of course, and have just really enjoyed the process. And um, so I thank you for listening and I thank you for the feedback and I thank you and I really pray that this whole experience, this time where we're talking about overflow has been helpful to you and your life and your walk with God. Uh, last month, my husband and I, we went to Southern California for a celebration of life, a memorial service for a woman by the name of Julie Silver. She was about 84 years old when she died. She was a wonderful woman. Um, I met her and her husband 15 years ago while I was on staff at a, another church, actually, not too far from here. And at that time, they came to work at the church as well, she and her husband. And around that same time, a young man by the name of Rich Lester came to follow Jesus. Um, some of you guys know him. <laughs> uh, and it was one of those dramatic conversions, um, you know, really kind of a unique story. And his life just was sort of rearranged, turned upside down in a good way uh, by Christ when he was in his early 20s. So in addition to being my coworkers, uh, Don and June, they began to faithfully disciple this Rich Lester guy, for which I am eternally grateful. <laughs> for those of you who are new here, Rich is my husband now um, and is works here at the church. Uh, so just a few years after that time, Rich and I began dating, and then we got engaged, as the story goes, and Don and June did our premarital counseling. And even though they moved out of the area, we stayed in touch, and they have long been a source of encouragement to us in our relationship with God and in our relationship, our marriage to each other. And here's why I want to tell you a little bit about June today. Um, she was an excellent example of someone who lived their life out of the overflow. And that's what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about this idea of of what is it li like to live with a sense of fullness in God's spirit and a soul that's well-watered in the life of God as opposed to relative dryness, emptiness, depletion. And as I've been explaining this and we've been talking about it, somebody said to me, Melissa, I don't, like, what does it look like? And for me, June was a great example of this. She was always looking for ways to drink from God's word, to fill up her soul with the goodness and the kindness of God. Her house, she, she was a darling person, by the way, just so cute. But she would have like scripture note cards, like this is by the kitchen sink, this is on the bathroom mirror, here's a stack that I put together on my, next to my chair, here's a stack at the table. And it was adorable because she would even, like, draw little pictures on them. So if it was something like, you know, come and drink or whatever, it would be like a little cup or whatever. She would, then she said, well, these help me remember the words because she was, it helped, the pictures helped her. And she was always trying to absorb God's word. And her conversation was usually on spiritual matters. And encouragement was always her tone. Sometimes she would be even maybe trying to correct something that maybe the thinking was wrong um, in an area or you didn't see the picture of God's goodness that she thought would be helpful to you. You didn't even know you were being so 
directed, right? You didn't even know you were being encouraged to something greater and better. Hundreds of people attended her celebration of life, and it was a it, it was a very moving experience. And yes, we were sad. She, you know, went to be with the Lord. Her life was over, but the tears at her celebration of life were more because her life was so inspirational than the fact than it was because she had died. She was no longer in pain. She was with Jesus. She was fine, or is fine, right? But we were, I was so moved by her life. And hundreds of people came, dozens and dozens of people who were there, their lives were directly impacted by June. Their marriages, dozens of marriages that had been strengthened, encouraged, and just had a breath of life breathed into them by Don and June's ministry. And after 63 years of marriage, when we got married, they celebrated their 50th anniversary. And then when she passed, they had been married for 63 years. And 50 years of following Jesus, 84 years of life, it was just amazing to see the slow, steady, consistent way that not only she filled up her life with God's word, with God's presence, but just how that sort of oozed out to those she came in contact with. And it was extremely evident at her celebration of life. And I love this picture of how she just, moment by moment, day by day, bit by bit, follow Jesus. And that is the kind of life I want to have. She wasn't a flashy preacher. She wasn't a celebrity preacher, even though she did teach and, and preach. She, she lived a very adventurous life, but yet a very simple life. And the simplicity was found in feeding herself God's word in multiple creative different ways. This is the kind of life I hope we will be inspired too. And in this idea of overflow and living life out of the overflow, I want to give you a few other just things to sort of help us define it, right? First of all, when your soul is lacking anything, you go directly to the source for that thing needed. That's a life out of the overflow. So just say, for example, you need peace in your soul, you go directly. Jesus for that. When your soul is thirsty, you drink from the source. So the thirsty, so say like let's continue on the peace example, you just might be having some anxiety, right? Some spiritual anxiety. Go to the source and drink. You take the time to recognize that you are thirsty and routinely go to Christ who is the source. So any unsettledness, sit with it. Lord, help me. What's going on? I'm coming to you. And what it does not mean, sometimes it's helpful to understand what something is by knowing what it isn't. It doesn't mean that you're always in a bubbly, happy mood. Or that you've figured out how to fashion the perfect set of circumstances, finally, for your life. Wouldn't that be nice? That you never get tired or have any other basic human needs. That's not what this overflow discussion is about. It doesn't mean that hard times won't ever come again. 
Living out of the overflow happens when a well-nurtured relationship with God nourishes the soul. And I love how Dr. Chloe, what she says along these lines. She says this. Listen carefully because this is gold. Relationship with God is best fed by a steady practice of attentiveness. If you're writing things down, write that down. Steady practice of attentiveness to God, as opposed to a diet of relative neglect, interrupted occasionally by quick spikes of engagement and intense surges of experience, which may help explain some of the spiritual dissatisfaction and burnout puzzling countless sincere souls in our day. We mistake the spikes and surges for spiritual strength and are left wondering why our faith at times feels uneven, and lonely, and disconnected, and parched. This spiritual dissatisfaction, it's real, isn't it? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Ever, maybe you are in a place right now where you're like, I'm just, I have no connection. I don't know what's happening. I am not able to draw on this nourishment from the Lord. And I love the way Dr. Sholey says this because it is both descriptive and she outlines this problem, this spiritual dissatisfaction, but it's also prescriptive. How we can overcome this challenge. And that really is by a steady practice of attentiveness. And as I bet you would guess, Jesus has some things to say along these lines as well. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 7, verse 37. If you have one of our Bibles here, the maroon ones, and you're using one of those, that is page 745. Okay, let's read this together. Or I'll read it. You can listen. Read along is what I mean. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive. He's talking about when the veil is torn at Pentecost. The spirit was unleashed everywhere, right? Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So we are living in that time right now. The Spirit has been given in the time that we're in right now. So here's what we're going to do with this passage today. This is going to be good, guys. I'm telling you, this stuff is good. I want to dissect this passage a little bit, and we're going to learn about this festival and how it can inform our relationship to time. And then we're going to get super practical on how to come and drink. What does it actually look like? So, let's start with this. We're going to just kind of go bit by bit here. This Feast of Tabernacles, that's what this last and greatest day of the festival, what they're talking about there is the Feast of Tabernacles. So, I had so much fun learning about this this week because we don't celebrate it, you know, now in our Protestant uh, North American and, um, you know, 2,000 years later <laughs> situation that we find ourselves in. 
But let me tell you a little bit about this Feast of Tabernacles. This was an eight-day feast starting and ending with the Sabbath. It was a time of joyful celebration, and foreigners were welcome and encouraged to take part in Am I gone? Oh, there you are. So the foreigners were welcome to take part in this particular feast, right? That meant the Gentiles too. Normally, it was just the Jews, right, for these different practices. But the, all the Gentiles were welcome as well. And the feast was associated with the grape harvest in particular. And during the feast time, only work associated with preparing delicious special food was allowed. Everything else waited. Just eating. Sounds pretty good already. One of the primary purposes of this feast was to thank God for his provision. And the best way I can describe this uh, is in our context would be if we celebrated Thanksgiving in late September while camping because they stayed in temporary shelters. That was a very important part of this feast. While camping in Napa. That's what I that's like kind of what I was picturing as I was learning about this. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Like we should like why don't we do this? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, baby, for laughing. <laughs> I love it when they get the joke. It's so great. Um so every as I mentioned, everyone stayed in temporary dwellings. But here is the main purpose that God instructed this Feast of Tabernacles. It was so that in the present moment, the Jewish people, for them to remember the past and what God did for them, providing for them in the wilderness when they lived in temporary shelter, and to remind them of what God had done for them in the past, very much like what Daryl was talking about in worship. Remind, remember what God has done, remembering his faithfulness. So that they could look forward with hope toward the future when the Messiah would come and all nations would come to Jerusalem. That's why the Gentiles were invited to worship God. And as I was studying this, I was so struck by this respectful orientation toward time built in by God in this particular Jewish festival. This orientation toward time where in the present moment we acknowledge the past and we get hope for the future. And part of the reason why I was so excited about this was because this orientation toward time is the number one thing that has been brought up as I've been talking about overflow. Remember how I asked the question, what are the greatest, greatest barriers to living in this sort of overflowing, spirit-filled life? If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, I've been talking about this, and I asked for responses from everyone. How many of you wrote down a card, wrote down an answer two weeks ago, okay? A lot of us, right? And I took all these cards, and we generated some data it's up there on the screen right now. And by and large, the responses that I got had to do with time. 
So, for example, I'm just going to read off some of the cards, what was written on them. Time, busyness, too many things going on. You can go to the next slide. Overwhelming schedule, right? I, distractions. So I have time, but maybe I'm not using it right. Letting other things take my time, other things besides the Lord, other things besides attention on Jesus, right? I'm too busy. I'm stressed over my responsibilities. I have a lack of discipline with my time. I have a lack of sleep and time because I have small kids, right? All of these very real situations we find ourselves in. And I love this because Jesus in our text is participating in this feast of tabernacles. And he, along with everyone else, is engaged in this regular practice of remembering the past and the faithfulness of God and the promise of his continued faithfulness in the future and how that informs the present time. And I love that it's built into the Jewish culture. This is something that we, we lack in our culture, right? In our time, in, our, in the way we do life. We like things fast so we can quickly you know, move on to the next thing. And that's great for some things, but it's not great for relationships, right? Relationships, they take time. And holding this beautiful tension with the past, the present, the future. And a lot of us, you know, we have an orientation toward time where we sort of emphasize one of the three. So, for example, like someone who tends to maybe, you know, sort of live in the past or they're historian in nature, they like to point out failures in the past so that they can be avoided in the future, which is valuable, right? A different type of historian might continually revel in the glory days. You know, he graduated high school 30 years ago, but he still tells stories of being the football star, right? Sort of this picture and and at some point you're like, bro, you got to move on. This is not, like, there's other things that have happened in your life, right? Time to enjoy what's here and now, what's around you now, right? And someone who's oriented in the present, their bent is toward that. They're really fun to be around, I think, because they just want to suck the life out of the here and now and have fun. And I like these people. I like to have these people in my life. And they're typically better at being engaged in the moment, but they might lack a little self-reflection, right? A little self-awareness. These are really gross generalizations, obviously, but just want to sort of throw this out there. And then we have those who are oriented toward the future. There are dreamers, right? And they might be great visionaries, have lots of ideas, dream big, and they're full of good ideas and bad ideas, and they're often accused of being full of it. Because maybe they lack the discipline to do the things in the here and now that will get them to where they want to go, that will actually accomplish the dream, right? So we sort of, individually, we might have a bent toward one of these three. And this orientation towards time is so important in this Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time of reflection brought into the present time with a hopeful look at the future. And it's this sort of tension that I want to invite you to keep. Both 
of these give life to the present situation, the past and the future. And I would argue that a life lived out of the overflow has a healthy balance and relationship toward time. So this overflowing life that we're talking about won't come from getting the perfect time management app as much as I wish that existed. Can't download it on your phone, right? We need a new sort of relationship to time. Almost like we need to become friends with it again. I know I spend a lot of time trying to manipulate time. I routinely overestimate my ability to multitask. And I routinely underestimate how long it's going to take me to do things and to drive places. <laughs> if I hit every red light and there's never any cars in front of me, I can make it there in seven minutes. No. It's not just about that. It's, it's holding this big sense of time, intention, and bringing that into our lives and strengthening our view of time. And we, in order to do that, we really do have to slow down. We have to make time for self-reflection, right? We have to create space for our soul to breathe in the here and now so we can be aware of God's presence and refresh our hearts with hope for the future. Amen? So as you think about living this overflowing life, think about your orientation to time and examine maybe if, you can balance it out a little bit. So we're going to continue on. We're still in John chapter 7. And I love the Bible. I love studying the context because all that we've just covered like the first sentence, right? And the context has brought so much life and so much richness and meaning to the text. So Jesus continues on and he says this amazing little sentence. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty. So let's just talk about this if anyone part. If anyone literally means anyone. Scholars have studied it. And in the Greek, it translates to anyone. It is for everyone and anyone, if anyone is thirsty. Now, people, when Jesus stood up and said this, people might have thought, I'm not thirsty. I have literally been eating and drinking for eight days straight. I'm not thirsty. But in order to drink, we need to recognize our thirst. We need to understand and recognize that our souls need something that only Jesus can give us. Have you ever been really busy throughout the course of a day and forgot to drink water? And then you, like, all of a sudden you sort of have a headache and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm dehydrated. Has anyone ever done that? Or maybe you're stuck in a meeting or stuck in the car. You don't have any water with you. I'm, I do this way too much. And, and instead of, like, Stopping what I'm doing to get some water, I'm like, oh, I'll just wait until I get there or whatever. And then, and then five minutes later, I'm like, well, I'm really thirsty. Scour, you know, like through my purse, oh, a piece of gum. That'll do the trick. <laughs> it actually doesn't do the trick at all, right? When you're super thirsty and you chew on a piece of gum, it doesn't help. 
And I think we do that to our souls sometimes. We are thirsty for the life and the spirit and the refreshment that only comes from God. And we feed it with something that is not helpful at all. That will never satisfy. We need space for our souls to recognize our thirst. Because the truth is that we are thirsty whether we realize it or not. And it takes a moment sometimes to realize our thirst, to recognize our thirst. So moving on, Jesus says this. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. He here is saying in essence, I am the source. I am the Messiah. I am God. I have the life you need. And what is incredible about this, because we know later that the Spirit is what gives this life, that Christ is both the giver and the gift. He is giving of his actual self to us. That is some serious thirst-quenching capabilities right there. It's not something separate and distinct from him. It is himself, life itself. Love itself, peace itself, it is him. And just like our physical bodies need to drink water on the regular, routinely, several times throughout the day, don't go a day without it, right? So we need to drink from the nourishment of Jesus, from his spirit, from his life. And he does this, by saying, come to me, me, actually, me, actually, I know that. Come to me and drink. I am that life. Isn't that awesome? Not apart from him is he. He is full of the life you need. Only he can satisfy, and he knows that, and he made us to be have be longing beings to need him to desire something that will satisfy our soul. And then Jesus said this, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And that's where we get to when we drink, when we drink, when we drink, we fill up, right? It's very simple. We fill up to overflowing. And this overflowing changes things around us. It changes, it might change our future even. It changes the relationships that we have. And it, rather than doing it from a parched, empty place, we are full of the very life of God, the very power of God. And his presence comes from within us. In a moment, I'm going to lead you through some practical application. Before I do that, I want to pray, spend some time praying. I, I hope that you are ready to trade in this spiritual dissatisfaction and build your life, with, build within your life a steady diet of attentiveness to God.
Because the truth is only he can satisfy. Only he can do it. And we we give our souls gum in the form of, you know, whatever, Netflix, social media. We do, right? We, we know we need something. And we fill that spot with lesser love. But what if we took a break, maybe from those lesser loves? What if we took time away from some of those things? We all have them. We all know they aren't doing us any favors. And, and this, in this season, we come to Jesus and we drink from him. We drink from his well. Doesn't that sound awesome? I mean, really. Let's pray. Lord, we come today, all of us just from a variety of places in our lives. Some of us might feel like we are in a spiritual desert in the wilderness. Others of us, so many of the faces I see today, have that attentive practice to the Lord. But God, wherever we are at, we come to you today thirsty, acknowledging that only you have what our souls need. Only you have what our souls desire. Lord Jesus, give us the grace to turn our eyes from lesser loves and to look at you. To acknowledge you for who you are in all your amazing attributes and draw on them from your presence, Lord. Give each of us the grace to throw our hearts and our lives into your presence, God, that we might be full to overflowing of your love, of your goodness, God. Help us to not forget, and Lord, give us a hopeful expectation for the future. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Just want to take a moment here in the presence of God before we're done. And this note card, this is where you need this right now. A lot of us, we, we say, you know, we don't have the time to think through these things, to make some changes, but we're going to take a little bit of time right now and just get super practical, okay? So just permit me for a minute to guide you through a little process here. What is your soul thirsty for? I have this written out. There's a little list. Take a moment and just think through it. What do you need? Is it peace? We've talked about that already today. Is it discipline? Circle one thing. If it's not, if there's many others, if it's not listed here and you already know, just jot it down. Take a moment. In the presence of God here, examine your heart. What is it that I really, what am I thirsty for? Sometimes we are in such chaos in our lives and hard times come. We just need order and we need God to help us release confusion and chaos. 
What is it that your soul is thirsty for? And this applies to the most disciplined of us, right, and the least, or the most, uh, you know, seasoned with walking with Jesus. What is your soul thirsty for? Circle one of these things. Okay? Turn the page over. And then the next question I have there for you is what is your great greatest time waster or distraction? I put some options there for you. You probably know yours. Circle one or jot one down. Just a simple acknowledgement. What is it? And maybe you all know Lent is coming up, right? And maybe we could take out something, but don't just take something out of your life or put something to the side in your life, but let's fill it with something good. And that's this next part right here, which says come and drink. Here I have just listed, it's not exhaustive, but some ways to come and drink usually involving some type of prayer, some type of Bible study, some type of community, some type of worship, something along those lines. Take a moment, read through this list, just circle one thing that you want to take the next 40 days, starting on Wednesday, to focus on. One of the things that I've noted here is just find a, a mentor to help guide you in your spiritual growth. Um, guys, we have amazing people in this church who are so intentional in their walk with God and so serious about If you want to be connected to one of those people, go talk to Sandy. Go talk to Rich. You can come talk to me. Like, find somebody for me who can just sort of guide me in how to walk this out. I am, like, looking at so many faces in here today. I'm like, can you be authentic? I bet you would be authentic. You would be authentic. And let's do it together, right? Did you guys get your thing circled? Wave this at me. Be circled. Thank you. So there you have it, your personal plan your strategy for coming to Jesus and drinking from him. That's it. Now you just got to do it, right? But you can do it. You can. This is so awesome. June, the lady I told you the story about at the beginning, I remember she was telling me a story about a time in her life. She was fairly new to the Lord. She was having a lot of trouble in her marriage. And she was just talking to her mentor about how hard it was to love her husband. It's just so hard sometimes, right? And she was talking about how hard it was to read the Bible. And you know what her mentor said to me? And this has stuck with me for like 15 years. She said, oh, but you can do it because you're a Christian. You can do it because Jesus is inside of you. And my friends, you can do it. You can. Let's take little steps every day to do it. And let's do it together. Amen? Good. Stand up. Let's pass the peace.